Hello and welcome to Ahead of the Curve. This is your host, Jonathan Gellner, and thank you so much for joining us today. This podcast is powered by Stick and Ball TV. Stick and Ball is a baseball-focused streaming platform featuring the best coaches, players, and premium brands in baseball today. Stick and Ball creates and curates baseball training content, on-brand partner content, and original lifestyle content, and publishes globally across their web, iOS, and Android apps. Check them out at stickandball.tv or on the Stick and Ball TV mobile apps. On today's show, we have on Jesse Michelle, CEO of Mindset for Excellence. Jesse is a certified mental performance consultant. Jesse is formerly the mental skills coordinator for the 2017 MLB World Series and 2019 and 2021 AL champion Houston Astros. Prior to working in professional baseball, Jesse spent four years working at the United States Army as the lead master resilience trainer and performance expert at the Comprehensive Soldier and Family Fitness Training Center in Honolulu, Hawaii. He provided hands-on training and self-development tools so that members of the Army family were better able to cope with adversity, perform better in stressful situations, and thrive on and off the battlefield. So on the show, we discuss how coaches can get started in mental training. We discuss different pillars that we can use in our programs, and he gives us a ton of practical tips to integrate them on field. This episode is so good with Jesse Michelle. Jesse, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks, man. It's great to be here. Really appreciate the opportunity and uh, excited to to chat with you for, for the next hour or so. Absolutely. Yeah, I'm, I'm excited as well. And I, uh, I told you off the mic, I think you've got the coolest, uh, the coolest background that we've had in a while. So you've got about a 1000 books. So I'm, I, I, I'm, I, we may have to just do a show over the different books that you've got back we, there. But we could do that. There are some <laughs> books, there's probably some yearbooks in there, there might nice. be a couple of uh, magazines. This is, uh, mm. this is, I was telling you earlier, this is taken over mostly by my wife as well. So it's a it's a dual effort back uh, in the background if you're if you're watching this uh, oh, on TV cool. or on YouTube or wherever no doubt well Jesse when when we talk we've we've talked a couple of times before and you just recently started your own company but I, w- I do want to re- rewind a little bit to how did you get into mental training and I you know there's a there's a lot of different ways that I want to go from there but I, I really want to know how, like it's all for me, it's only really become popularized. I don't know the last like five or six years. I don't want to say popularized, but you see it being more common. Mm-hmm. And you know, I I wish I had done something in it when I was going to college, but I I had no idea uh, even really it existed other than psychology, like sure. sitting in a chair uh, and and talking to someone. But tell us a little bit about how that piqued your interest, how you got started in it, and a little bit about your journey. Yeah, yeah. So definitely a good place to start this conversation. So uh, I think with anybody, um, you know, you, you hope there's a, a personal connection. And with me, there there certainly is. Um, I grew up in Los Angeles, played a bunch of sports growing up. Uh, baseball was kind of my primary sport. I fooled around with a couple other sports uh, and got to uh, Division II school at the time, UC San Diego, uh, was going to play and really just struggled, uh, struggled academically, struggled on the field, was constantly getting sick, um, you know, struggled in hindsight, realized that I struggled with the transition of a uh, more competitive environment. You know, I thought I was, you know, well-equipped mentally to, to handle playing at that level. Turns out I, I was a lot less equipped than I thought. 
Um, and long story short, ended up redshirting there and, and continued to coach a little bit, coached some youth leagues, but kind of found a, a love for um, the, out, the other stuff besides just the physical training uh, and then the technical. We'll kind of get into what makes up the mental game. But for me, kind of the technical and tactical and really the, the, the other part of performance. You know, I, I was a catcher growing up. Like I said, I coached a lot. So I was always very kind of thoughtful and methodical and thought about the game a ton and found kind of this field of sport and performance psychology fell in love with the idea of training and, and the ability to deliberately train up the mental side of the game. Because for me, it was something that, um, you know, I know that I needed some help in that area uh, when I got to college, uh, ended up playing a little bit uh, post-college internationally and, uh, and then went to Ithaca College uh, for my master's, was a GA there, coached the baseball team there, uh, and then went to West Virginia. My PhD had a chance to work with some some swimmers there, uh, men's and women's swim team. And so kind of get a chance to apply some of these skills outside of uh, what I would consider a comfortable environment. We talk so much about getting our, our players comfortable being uncomfortable. I think you have to have a little bit of that, whether you're a mental performance coach, whether you're a baseball coach, no matter what profession you're in. Um, and so kind of having all these different experiences. And for me, really what got me in this is my own struggle uh, with the mental side of the game. Um, and then finding that there was a, a whole body of literature, a science behind performance excellence. There are all these people out there uh, helping athletes and performers and not just athletes, you name it, uh, you know, soldiers, uh, musicians, dancers. I mean, there's so many businessmen, businesswomen. No there's so many, uh, when we talk about performance, these skills and, and this skill set uh, if you can build this up across domains and it's going to help you perform at a high level more consistently. So for me, that's kind of how I got into this. Uh, we'll talk about my journey, I'm sure, a little bit more. But, um, you know, I, I kind of found this space as an undergrad initially as as an athlete searching for help uh, and mm -hmm. then realizing, oh, my gosh, I love coaching. I love sport. I love performance and I love kind of the mental aspect of performance. I can put it all together, marry it up and there's like people out there that are doing this for a living and that kind That's of started cool. the journey. No doubt. I, I love hearing that. And now you, so how did you get to the Astros? Yeah. So uh, from West Virginia, ended up uh, working with soldiers. There's a, a ton of people uh, in our space that, that works with, with soldiers, different installations across the world, actually many across the country. Uh, and there's kind of a, there is somewhat of a pipeline from that program that I worked for into baseball, at least at the time that I was working there. Uh, late 2016, the Astros opened up a position, mental, mental skills coordinator is what, what they called it, threw in my name and kind of went through a typical application process that you would go through for any other job. Uh, I felt like I had, you know, solid qualifications and I had had experience with a bunch of different teams, different sports, you know, men's and women's uh, leaders, uh, you know, from young athletes, uh, older performers. So I felt like I was in a good position to be competitive. And, you know, thankfully, uh, you know, they felt the same way or I tricked enough people to to get the opportunity. One of the two. Oh, very cool. And, and since, you know, after you know, I, after, after that, you decided to start your own company. And uh, while we're, while we're discussing it, tell us a little bit about that. I'd love to hear. 
Yeah, thanks. Appreciate the, the the platform there. So I have my own company, Mindset for Excellence, and we're kind of a we're a full service mental performance firm. You know, offer mental training services to youth athletes, college athletes, uh, professional athletes, Olympic, anyone on on the sports spectrum. Also do a little bit of work in healthcare. Do some executive coaching. Um, but for me, it's really about finding uh, folks that are uh, identify and and that really wanna wanna invest um, time. And, and resources into building up kind of the, the mental side uh, of, of their training uh, and being deliberate about it. So, uh, you know, I work with a lot of youth athletes. Um, you know, a lot of times it's parents reaching out saying, hey, w- what do you do? How do you do it? And uh, like I said, I'm sure we're going to get into that here sure. uh, on the podcast, but um, have a couple of uh, couple of colleges that I work with uh, and then some 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 team clients as well. So, um, definitely feel free to check out the website if you got a chance, just mindsetforexcellence.com. And whether you're interested in, in the work or a, as a listener, you just want to reach out uh, and, and engage and talk mental game. Or if you got a question or you, you want a resource or you want me to help point you in the direction of, of somebody in your area, please feel free to reach out anytime. I love engaging with, uh, with listeners, with people interested in the mental game. If you're a coach, you just want to talk shop for an hour, let's do it. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm an open book. Uh, I love talking about this stuff. I love helping people get better. That's really where my passion lies. Um, and so, you know, definitely feel free to reach out anytime. I love that. And I'll I'll put a link down in the show notes for those who are curious. If you're listening to the show, I definitely highly encourage, encourage you uh, to do that. But let's talk a little bit about, you know, on-field coaching and merging, you know, what quote-unquote mental game with mm-hmm. that. And, you know, I, I was talking to you earlier, I think the 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 – I don't want to say the worst thing. The worst thing we can do is not teach it. I think one other thing that we can do is segment it away from actual on field because, you know, kids just want to be better. They want to be better on field. They want to level up whatever it is. And whenever we say, Hey, let's go do a mental game session only in a classroom and like take them completely away from the field. I think some would be turned off by that. I think most actually I would have been as a player. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I would love to hear, you know, where do we start? So, Again, taking in in part the listeners that we we discuss, which are mostly on field coaches, where can we start with teaching a better better mental game? Yeah, so I think the first place to start is defining what is the mental game, right? And so I like to think about performance across three areas. I think I said physical earlier. That's how fast are you? You know, how much power can you generate from a standstill? In the case of baseball, um, how high can you jump? Uh, how explosive are you? Those those things that you work on in the weight room, uh, the tactical or technical, the the actual skill set. If you're a pitcher, if you're a pitcher, what's your repertoire? You know what maybe spin rate? Um, what's your velocity? Uh, right? What's your uh, how how effective is your slider? How well can you locate? If you're a hitter, maybe we're talking swing path. We're talking average exit velo. Uh, we're talking all the the technical components. If you're a fielder, how how fast is your first step? What's your arm strength? And then the mental side, which is all the other stuff that goes into performance. And so we're talking confidence, the ability to to manage and control your emotions, the ability to practice with intent, the ability to focus and and maintain a level of attention to detail, know where where your mind needs to be uh, at certain points in the performance, Uh, the ability to be a leader, talk about accountability, talk about team development, imagery. I mean, all communication skills, all these other elements of the the process of becoming better outside of the physical and outside of the technical. And I, and I think 
you know, you can't lose sight of the fact that all these other elements are still very present when you're in the weight room. They're still very present when you're in a bullpen. They're still very present in throwing program. They're very present, you know, in a live BP, and they're obviously very present during the game. And, and I think baseball is such a unique, it really is such a unique sport, right? And this is something that, you know, when, when we did our, our intro session to, to new Astros players, one of the first things that I would talk about is just how, um, how unique this environment is, at least in the pro level. And I'm sure it's like this in college and probably a lot of your high school guys as well. You think about the amount of time spent training, right? And it's daily and it's anywhere from you're at the field from five hours. And if you're at the pro game, it could be 10, 11 hours a day. Um, Each game is two and a half, three hours, depending on what level you're at. If you actually think about the amount of time you're spent performing as a baseball player, if you're a hitter, you might be in the box for a total of two, three minutes. If you get three, four at-bats, you might have three or four plays in the field. I mean, collectively, you're talking about five to ten minutes of performance a day for an investment of 11 hours. So the return on that, you, you better be able to be locked in. You better have your mind in the right place. You better be in the right mental, emotional state to be able to compete and perform. And why would you ever leave that up to chance? So I think that's the first thing is, all right, let's define what the mental game is. And then to your point, right, I, I think of this kind of in different stages. Um, and it's stages of learning. You're, you're learning these skills. And as a high school coach, you want to teach these skills. The, you can call them mental skills. You can call them life skills. You can call them resilient skills. But you probably have some sort of bucket of, of skills that you're trying to teach your players. And there's different ways that you can do that, right? Um, I think you mentioned, John, you know, it's like, hey, let's go have a mental game session, you know, in the classroom and we'll talk about confidence and I'll show you a video of, of, of you know, Joey Votto talking about sure. confidence and, mm-hmm. you know, maybe you ask a couple players to come up and give their definition and you, you come up with kind of a definition as a team. Well, then how do you take that and bring it to the field? And so me as a, as a mental performance coach, um, as somebody who who tries to you know empower and and encourage coaches to apply this stuff, really part of it is: Are you making this a part of your language during practice? Are you setting up drills where guys are going to fail, guys are going to be stressed out, uh, guys are it's not going to come easy? Um, are you keeping track of how guys respond when they fail? Do are you allowing? Is the culture set up during your practice and during games where conversations about the mental game? are just kind of expected. They're a part of it. You're able to have those conversations with your players. You're able to be vulnerable. You're able to talk yourself when you were a player. How did you struggle with the mental side of the game? What skills do you wish you would have been able to, to build up or you had more of? Um, and really, are you are you comfortable talking about this space? I think coaches are getting much more comfortable talking about you know, data, Rapsodo, or Blast, or they're 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 investing the time to learn how do you read and interpret a graph and then develop a throwing program or throwing particle or throwing uh, protocol that's going to help this guy develop, you know, more hop in his fastball. Well, are you as a coach investing in learning this area of the game? And it's, you know, it's not for lack of uh, resources out there, but I think, um, I think there, it, it's, you know, it, there's a lot of a lot of stuff out there. And so, you know, identifying, hey, what are your kind of three or four core books that you've read as a coach um, about growth mindset? Maybe it's about optimism. Maybe it's about building confidence in your athletes. 
Um, are you as a coach, do you, do you practice what you preach when your players struggle, when they're in the muck, when things aren't going well, how do you handle it? What language do you use? Um, are you able to, to show and demonstrate the, the types of mentality, the types of toughness that you want out of your players? And then I would, one simple thing you can do is like when you're setting up your practice plan during each drill, think about, all right, what's the mental game component of this drill? Is it, are you trying to help guys develop stronger self-talk, develop stronger belief systems, help them go from a fixed to growth mindset? Do you want them to take a, a low and slow breath before they step in the box? Are you encouraging them to look at their focal point, you know, after each pitch, what do you want them to do? If they're in a cage rotation, you know, maybe one of your stations is doing some imagery or maybe one of your stations is uh, reflecting on the, the at-bats from the, the game before. Like, how are you setting up kind of mental game opportunities throughout practice? And then do you follow up during practice, reinforcing, asking questions, allowing players to dive in? So it's just kind of a part of the culture of your program, as opposed to let's do this thing once a week and then. When we get out to the field, I'm not even going to mention it again. Sure. Now, would you, if so, thinking about the integration side, and I, I would love to hear more about how you guys did it with the Astros, but while we're on this topic here, so the, the topic of confidence, would you, depending on how much time we have too, because I was in Chicago a couple of weeks ago, and they have maybe three weeks before the season starts to get their guys ready. And I'm like, okay, like <laughs> this is different. Then, you know, in, in Oklahoma, we have them all fall. But, you know, I, ideally, would you want to want to stay on one topic per week or and, and really teach it deeply? I mean, just I'm, I'm thinking, OK, confidence and how do we integrate it into practice that week? And then maybe we have a weekly topic over the, the main pillars that we have or, or just anything along those lines. I'd love to hear your advice. Yeah, I think I think you can have a topic a week. That's a good approach. Um, it probably starts with as a program, right? What are kind of the the pillars of the mental game that that you want to teach? You know, and by pillars, I mean, all right, we want our players to improve their self-awareness, right? What are they saying to themselves in the moment, in the dugout, after a pitch, in between innings? What's kind of the, the self-talk? Um, self-awareness also includes what's your belief systems, right? This is much much deeper than just kind of what are you saying to yourself in the moment. Your belief systems kind of uh, influence and, and dictate how you respond to the things that happen to you. Um, so, you know, you're, you're increasing self-awareness. Maybe body language might be another element of self-awareness, right? Confidence, all these things. Self-regulation might be, you know, the ability to kind of control uh, or regulate your body, right? If you're, if you're too jacked up, you're teaching deliberate breathing, you're teaching how to focus, you're teaching how to identify what emotion am I feeling and what do I need to be feeling when I step in the box? If I'm, you know, if I'm feeling, uh, if I had doubt, right, what do I need to tell myself to, you know, to get back and locked in? And remember, you know, one of my core philosophies and not just me, but many mental game coaches is your mind can only be in one place at a time and identifying where you need it to be uh, at the moment of performance. So self-awareness, self-regulation, maybe leadership is one of your kind of pillars of the, of the mental game that, that you want your, your players to learn. And so you kind of have these pillars and then you have different skills that you want to teach under these pillars. And 
you could have, I've seen coaches that have like a, a workbook for a season. Another way I've seen it is, hey, this is my freshman curriculum. This is my sophomore curriculum, my junior and my senior. Um, we had something a little similar with the Astros where we had kind of an onboarding program and then we would have an instructs program and then we'd have a spring training program. And so it kind of mirrored like that. And inevitably a guy in double A AA or triple A is going to have a different, there's going to be different needs, right? They're, they're going to be a different place in their life than the guy who just got signed or the high school kid who, who comes into pro ball from high school. Um, and so that's number one, what are your pillars? What are your skills that, that are important? Um, and a lot of times, you know, in baseball, the, the, the term makeup is, is really popular. And I've had man, countless conversations with scouts, coaches, front office folks about, well, how do you evaluate makeup and, and where do, what's the difference between that and mental skills? And, mm-hmm. you know, I think makeup is more leadership, responsibility, um, emotional intelligence, uh, work ethic, and all those things obviously impact mental skills. I see them as kind of a Venn diagram where the truth is that there might be some players that have um, great makeup that are not great athletes. And there are some players that are great athletes and highly skilled that have bad makeup. Um, And so I, I I I think there's, it's sort of a, an overlap there. And so that's probably part of the, the skill set that you're teaching Um, resilience, accountability, um, kind of flexible thinking, growth mindset. So you have these these skills that you want to teach. You can do one a week. Um, I think a great time to do something like this is like your fall semester. Sure. I remember, you know, a lot of guys have maybe study hall once a week. You know, maybe you can get your your team captains to to kind of take some ownership in this. You can teach this. I know there's like a lot of high schools now have learning platforms. You can create mm-hmm. probably a curriculum that has. Um, videos or you know quizzes if that's what you're into I don't think I would do that but I know some coaches might that might be their style worksheets I mean we that that was a component it, it wasn't a huge fact component of what we did but there were some players that that wanted tangible worksheets to be able to kind of collect and, and have a reference point mm-hmm. uh, there are some coaches that have a like book club like hey if you want a player that wants to develop confidence or maybe you have different groups right you say at the beginning of the semester, all right, here are the, you know, four or five different topic areas that we're going to cover. Pick one of these groups and you have like a, maybe a book or a, a movie for each group. And then as a group, they come together in a couple of weeks and they have to kind of give a, a synopsis of what they learned and how they're going to apply it during practice and during games. So I think as a, as a coach, as an educator, we all have our specific styles. Um, for me, I liked to I like to do it both ways. We we had time on the schedule for sure, um, daily or uh, if I was at an affiliate, we'd you know if I was at an affiliate for a week, you know we might have mental skills with pitchers on the schedule two or three times. We might have mental skills with hitters uh, two or three times, and then we'd have a like an optional block as well for anyone that wanted to come during spring training. It's you got mental skills every day, and you're you're talking about a different topic. And for me, it you know you're trying to find stories, you're trying to find articles, you're trying to find videos, you're trying to find something that's going to hook them, that's relevant, that's meaningful, that they care about, that you connect back to whatever that topic is. And then you got to give them what's the takeaway, what's the one way that you can apply this during practice today, and then follow up, like during the drill, at the end of practice, 
kind of pick, you know, sit them down on the bench. You're talking about practice anyway. Here's what we did. You know, you got your good, better, how you got your end of practice process. Make sure to reinforce and follow up. Hey, how did you work on your confidence today? Who, who in the moment recognized, man, their self-talk wasn't where they needed it to be. And what did you tell yourself instead? Who took that breath in between, um, you know, in between rounds or who spent a little bit of time visualizing or who got themselves uncomfortable on purpose so they can sit with that, you know, level of uncomfortability and, and kind of be mindful and recognize that, you know, it wasn't as big a deal as they thought it was going to be. Just making it a part of the conversation is really important because that normalizes it for the players. Um, and they're going to be much more like as a coach, you set the tone, obviously with your program, with what's culturally acceptable, what the, you know, social norms are right of, of your program at each level. Um, if you're a varsity coach, you know, what's your JV coach doing to, to, to talk mental game every day? How is he doing it? Um, you know, if you're a softball coach, same thing. What's, what, what are your coaches doing to talk mental game? Um, and how are you, it could be something as simple as like, you have a series of videos on your phone and before a, a round of BP at the end of practice, like you show a quick minute and a half clip of, you know, some, some, some big leaguer talking mental game and saying, Hey, let's, let's apply this right now. And so that way it's in the moment they can feel it, you know, in the environment they're going to be competing in. Um, because that's, that's big for me is you, you want them to be practicing this in the environment that they're competing in, because if they don't do that, there's just, there's, there's probably, you're leaving a lot on the table. Right. No doubt. And I think, you know, there's a lot to unpack there. And the first one that I, I think uh, with the with the buy-in, anytime that we can find guys that they want to be someday talking about this stuff, I think that that's obviously going to increase buy-in. And we'll send videos over different topics throughout the week of, you know, what do we need this week? And, and <laughs> how can we find like Kobe talking about it? Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I would like to, for you to hit, you, you mentioned uh, good, better, how. Yeah. And I think that that's a reflection technique, but can you mm-hmm. tell our listeners about it? Absolutely. Yeah. So this is um, called a debrief reflection technique, whatever mm-hmm. you want. This is something that I encourage our guys to do every single day. Um, and then obviously in pro ball, you're playing every day. Um, so it's, it's identifying, Hey, what do you, what did you do well today? You know, maybe you identify three things. What do you want to do better tomorrow and how are you going to do it better? So it does a couple things. Number one, it allows you to sit in the good stuff. There's a ton of research on the benefits of gratitude, the benefits of, of hope and optimism, the benefits of experiencing positive emotion. And I think baseball is such a game of failure. It's so easy to go home. You go one for four, two for four, you know, maybe you blooped a single in the left, or maybe you, you threw five innings, you gave up three runs, you gave up a bomb, but the other four innings, you were lights out. It's so easy to stick in the, the you know what, and, and to kind of bury yourself into the stuff that didn't go well. You give guys an opportunity and you, you can do this as a, as a program every single day, a good, better, how, or I, assign different guys, you know, Hey, what went well today? What do we want to do better as a group tomorrow and how can we do it? So on an individual basis, you're actually, and this is something I would strongly recommend um, is every guy should have a, a development journal, uh, whether it's mental game to me, it's, it's overall development. It's mental game, physical, it's nutrition, it's recovery, um, it's weight room. Um, and, and for a guy to, to have a place or a gal or a girl to have a place to track their development, to track their process, there's no doubt the, the benefits of journaling are 
you know, it's the research is out there. It, you spend so much time performing, you need to be able to reflect a little bit. It has to be a part of your process. And one of the drills is good, better, how. So what did you do well? Um, you could identify one area of the day. Hey, what did we do well on defense today? Pitchers, what did you do well during PFPs? What did we do well in throwing program? What do we want to do better tomorrow? Maybe we want to get our energy level up. Maybe we want to, um, you know, increase the, the rate of hard hit balls, you know, to up, up the middle. I mean, be, be as specific as you can or you want to be. Um, and then how are we going to do it? So you actually come up with a process uh, for how you're going to address those things. Um, and so you can kind of measure yourself along the way. Uh, and so it's, it's, a, it's a pretty simple technique. What I've found is uh, if guys can and gals can kind of make this a part of their daily process, there's something very uh, there's something very refreshing about it because you do give yourself a chance to let me take a breath, let me reflect. I had to do something well today. Like it wasn't how often do we go home from practice and we just like we feel like man that that was terrible or you know I I, I had a live BP and. You know, I went over two with two strikeouts, but I forget about my, you know, my BP session that my swing was on and I, I was locked in. So you, you give folks a chance to reflect, um, you know, they can use it. Uh, I talked about gratitude. You know, that's another thing that guys can do every day. A gratitude yeah, journal. No um, I, I would definitely encourage that. And we can talk about specifics of that if you want. But this good, better how it can be on an individual level. It can be on a team level. Um, you could do like position specific um maybe it's not something you do every day but mm -hmm. again you make it kind of a part of your culture that what it does is it also reinforces this idea of like growth mindset you know i know this is mm -hmm. a, a hot topic um amongst mental performance coaches amongst coaches in general um and it's a practical way to reinforce like okay i'm gonna have a growth mindset about this area that i struggled for sure no that's really really good and I just, just I'll be uh, completely honest with you. I'm I'm almost to the point now where I I'm getting really tired of being the sole holder of information. And kids are man, kids are so bright, and they just they need help with direction. But I think that we you know we have we have taken for granted how much information that they have consumed, and sometimes we we over we overthink that they that they know the same things that we know. But they're smart, man, and they know they know what's going on. They know different ways that they, and so, a lot of times it, it is, we need to be bumpers and, and need to help them with direction. But I've really gone all in on the reflection or the asking them, Hey man, like what, like, what do you want out of this? Or what do you, what do you think we need to do here? Because a lot of times, especially with, with good players and good programs, which I'm, I'm lucky to, to be a part of, they, they are driven and they want to get better. And that's, that's been a really refreshing thing of, they don't have to come to me completely for information. And so that's led to lots of good conversations and lots of conversations between each other. And that's been one of my favorite parts over probably the last six to eight months of just getting them to start to own their everyday career. I love that. Man, that, that makes me so happy to hear. And I hope that a lot of your listeners, and I'm sure they are, they kind of are taking a similar approach and philosophy. Because when I hear you say that, what, what sticks out to me is, and, and the, the, the context of this part of our conversation comes from, you know, I, I recently transitioned into kind of building this, this practice and this company. And, and inevitably, I'll, I'll get parents calling me saying, you know, Johnny or Sarah, 
you know, they're having trouble with these co- this coach or that coach because of X, Y, and Z. And I don't think it's the, I don't think it's permeating like you sport. Maybe it is. I hope not. But um, what I hear you saying is like, you've taken it upon yourself to empower your athletes. You've given them the chance to, to feel autonomous, right? They, they have ownership. They, there's a stake in their development um, because they do have a ton of information at their disposal. Um, and, and now it's, I mean, it's at the, the, the tips of their, their fingers and they're, they're consuming content constantly. Um, sure. probably most of it video and mm-hmm. a lot of it's probably, you know, killing some brain cells, but a lot of it's probably <laughs> good. And, and, you know, whether it's uh, training facilities or, or players, player platforms. Um, and like you said, they're, they're no dummies. And so providing them, um, empowering them, uh, building them up, providing them with a, a sense of autonomy that they have some ownership here, um, as opposed to belittling them, bringing them down, getting your own ego, like feeling like you have to know everything. I think that's that's something right. that you know young coaches a lot of times they feel like, man, if I don't know something, that somehow it's a reflection of me. I, I would argue yeah. the opposite, right? I mean, you talk about lifelong learner and the ability to kind of have a growth mindset. Um, you know. It, your words, your tone, your body language, when you choose to speak to, to your athletes, how you choose to speak, whether it's one-on-one, whether it's in a group, I mean, all that stuff matters so much. And if, if we can do a better job of, of empowering, of building up, of creating in the business space and in the resilience space, they call it psychological safety. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, a, it's a hot term. But if we can create a space and an environment where our athletes feel comfortable and feel safe taking risks right. and and failing. And this this game is is so driven by your response to failure. Mm-hmm. Oh, As a coach, when your athletes fail, when your best players fail, when your worst players fail, like everyone on the team is looking to you. How how do you respond? What's your body language? You know, when one guy fails or one girl fails, do you go talk to them in the moment? Or is it in front of the team when somebody else fails? Is it by themselves? Are, what's your tone of voice? Are you able to kind of come from the same place with 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 all the, the players that you were with? And I'm not suggesting that you should treat everybody the same. I, I think that's that's impossible. I actually, I, I think it's uh, contradictory to, to athlete development. But what mm-hmm. I am suggesting is to be aware of how what you're saying and the culture and environment that you're setting up is is impacting the, the aggregate is impacting every player because they're watching every single move, right? They're like trained to kind of like over, over think and, and over process. And they have so much info coming in um, and you hold, they hold you in such high regard that, that the words you use, the tone you use, the body language, um, you know, the, the, the subtle compliment, the, the, the small, the, the five seconds it would take to empower them after you know, they make a mistake. It, it, it does. They carry it for them for, for weeks. Um, mm-hmm. and I, and I think we don't, a lot of times as coaches, we don't give ourselves enough. We're not aware enough of, of just how much they pick up and they perceive. And by sure. what you're doing, creating an environment where you're giving the ownership back to them, especially at, you know, at, at the level that, that, that you're at, I think is incredible. And I really encourage more coaches to do that. Oh, well, thank you for the compliments. And I, I will, you know, add the caveat of saying that there will be days that they're like, uh, I don't know, like, then you're just not going to get anything out of them. So then it's like, okay, I, I'm going to, I'm going to take it back here now. Cause we actually have to get better today. So mm-hmm. that may actually happen 
you know, from time to time. Mm-hmm. But I, I want to discuss like uh, I want to discuss what a, being a world champion feels like. I don't know if I'll ever get to experience that or not. But man, like what was that like? What was that team like? I mean, just just I, I like well, we could spend an entire however long you want to talk about discussing this. But that's very few people on the show have ever gotten to experience that. So I want to know all about it. Yeah, man, um, that was uh, five years ago. Um, lots happened in the baseball world. A lot's happened to the Astros since that yeah, no since doubt. that throw from Altuve to Gurriel in Dodger Stadium, uh, November first, I think it was 2017. But yeah, I mean, look, that was my my first season with the club, um, and you know, it was in Los Angeles. Uh, I'm from LA. I grew up a Dodger fan. You know, it was one of those things right out of a movie where you're, you're with your friends, you're with your family. I'm sitting with my dad in game seven. My dad was my baseball coach growing up and we went to hundreds of Dodger games as kids. And and now we're sitting there watching the team that you're, you work for, you know, close out, close out a world, world title. Um, so it was, you know, it's something I'll, I'll never forget, but what I remember most is probably, you know, the conversations and the work in the lead up and uh, to be completely transparent and honest in my first year, the majority of my work was done with our minor league guys. Um, and you know, that's, that's pretty common. I mean, as the, as the coordinator of the, of the mental skills program, you know, our, my, my scope of impact, uh, at the time was, you know, major leagues all the way down to our guys in the DR. And there's just way more minor league players than there are major league players in any organization. So a lot of my time was spent with the minor league guys that year. A few guys that, that got called up did work a little bit with some major league guys. But for me, it was about like learning the Astros way, trying to develop, hey, what is, what's our mental skills program going to be? Um, a lot of the work that year was was done with the coaches. And, and I think as a mental performance coach, especially in, a, in an environment like that where you're working for an organization, you quickly realize that like, look, these, the coaches are going to be um, disciples is the wrong word, but they're going to, they're the ones who are working with the players every single day. There's one of me and there's, you know, 15 hitting coaches. And so to be able to kind of work through the coaches and to be able to, you know, check in with them, Hey, this, you know, this guy, he's been, get a call from the major league pitching coach. This guy's, you know, his, his head's not there. He's been struggling. What do you got for me? Um, and to be able to kind of work uh, in that capacity was, was incredible. Um, and really just kind of learning the ropes of, of the pro game. I, I didn't play uh, pro ball in, in the state, so it was completely new environment to me, completely uh, new um, atmosphere. And, you know, nobody expects to, to go in and be a part of a, a world championship club right away. And so it was kind of one of these, it was like a fairy tale for me to be able to, to do it and do it against the Dodgers. And, you know, we, we played the Yankees um, in the ALCS. My dad grew up a Yankee fan. He's from New York. And so to be able to spend that time, uh, you know, going to those games with him and my family and my wife and have those memories, we got, uh, you know, got, got some photos and some plaques on the wall and, you know, to be able to to go upstairs anytime I want and pull out the World Series ring and, you know, the, the two AL championship rings as well is, is obviously a very special, uh, something that I don't take for granted. Um, for sure. And and I know that, look, there's, there's, you got listeners from all ends of the spectrum out there, obviously some things that came out after that, that season um, that, that might put that, that championship in question. All, all I can say is this, I know what went into it from my perspective, I know what those 
those players and those coaches uh, and those strength coaches and all the people behind the scenes, uh, what they put into it. And um, there, there really is nothing more gratifying than, than being a part of that and just feeling like you have a very small, small role to play, um, you know, in that whole experience. Cause it does, it, it takes everybody uh, scouts front office. I mean, you're talking, you know, scouts that, that scouted some of these guys when they were, you know, in high school or, international mm-hmm. scouts and, and strength coaches at the minor league level. I mean, it, it's, it's the whole deal. No doubt. No, I love that. So I, I want to get into a little bit about, you know, getting buy-in as, especially, you know, the, the clientele that you had been working with and I'm sure continue to work with are, are the top 1% and potentially 1% of the one percenters. So how, like, give us a store, give us a, maybe a, a story or a time that you you developed a relationship or something finally clicked with you know it, it, it may have been your help or it may have just been you know the things that you guys were doing but is there anything that comes to mind of you're like I, I you know if anyone ever has a question about why we should do this this is the story that i'm going to tell man there's quite a few that stick out so your the first part of your question was about buy-in yeah and yeah. If you want to, you can go into how to do that. Yeah, and, I mean, I think I think it'll Please just do. be fun to to tell a story about you know to sure. kind of put some of your listeners and and give them some perspective. No, I can yeah. remember, um, I can remember being in a in the major league locker room early on in my tenure with the Astros, and it was spring training, and it's the major league team, it's everyone in in, in camp, it's uh, the major league coaching staff, it's the entire front office. Uh, and I can remember doing like kind of an intro to to the mental game and and our and our our mental skills department and what we had going on. And I can remember asking a, a certain player who has had a lot of success at the big league level, um, you know, and asking them about their experiences with uh, with with the mental game. And and they had come from another club and had some different experiences with some different programs. And um, in front of the whole whole audience basically said, this is a bunch of horse, you know what, um, you know, I, I, this, I don't believe in this stuff. You know, I'm, I'm not really sure what you're doing here. So imagine, you know, how do you respond in that moment? Right? Like, what do you do? You got a hundred people in a major league locker room. You can either fold, you can cave, or you can try to pivot or, you know, you're, you're getting challenged, right? You talk about how do you generate buy-in? And that's one of the things that I, I think back to about how I got buy-in in front of all those kind of key players and coaches, the way that you handle that situation and how do you respond and what does your body language say? And because in, in my work, that's a performance, right? We're, we're supposed to be teaching mental performance. How do you respond? How do you get locked in? How do you prepare? Um, you know, I did all the preparation for this presentation ahead of time and boom, I was hit with a, you know, a boulder hitting me in the face. This guy that everyone in the room res- respected, um, you know, kind of, laid it out there and said, what are you going to do, big boy? Um, and so, you know, in, in the moment, I, 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 I said, hey, you know, I appreciate that input. You know, that sounds like that was your experience. You know, I can't wait to hear more about it. Um, I, I don't know what you did with your other teams or what's been going on, but let's, let's touch base offline. And you kind of move to the next slide. And, and I, after that, I, I got players, coaches, uh, kind of up and down the chain saying, man, like you handled that really well. So that's a big part of it is like, how do you get buy-in? You practice what you preach. You have to be able in the mm, moment to, to, to be able to, to stand up there. And, you know, we talk, 
I'm sure many of your listeners have heard the, the name Ken Revisa, right? One of the, you know, the, the fathers of the mental game and, and heads up baseball. And, and he's just, his, his handprint is all over, you know, all the mental performance coaches in baseball and, and many in other sports. And he used to talk about, you know, when you're, when you're naked, strip bare, vulnerable before the gods, like who shows up, right? Uh, and what do you do in those That's moments? So good. And, and so like, have you trained yourself? When you get in that situation, like you either fold, you get real bright red, you stumble, and for a for a baseball player, maybe you freeze up. Um, you know, you 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 ask, you don't want to get put in a in a situation where you might fail. Depending on what other sports you play, that looks different. Um, but the first thing is you create buy-in by practicing what you preach. The second part is you better create some some good programs that kind of cover the gamut of what people are interested in. And and what I mean by that is, look, we had. There were guys that were interested in mindfulness training. So we, we had connections with, with Calm, a, a mental training app where we could get guys access, you know, if they wanted it to integrate mindfulness training as part of their daily process. We had, you know, podcasts that, that we would put together for guys that that's how they learned. We had, you know, we had a little curriculum or if they wanted to watch videos of, of different skills, we had, you know, we had private Instagram and, and Twitter, mental Astros mental game channels where just our players and coaches where we would post content, you know, a lot of this stuff, a video or an article or a, a theme of the day. Um, you know, we would do stuff in the classroom. We'd have workshops. There were some guys that if they had mental skills on the schedule, they wouldn't show up, but I would know, Hey, I, I got to touch base with this guy in the cage. Cause that's where he's most comfortable. Um, for some guys it was, they might text me or call me and that's how they were most comfortable working. And then when I showed up to an affiliate, Boom, it was there, you know, ready to go. And, and it was, hey, I got a bullpen today. Come watch me. Let's talk about, you know, what we've been working on. Um, for some guys, it was articles, you know. So understanding that you have all these different modes of content, uh, modes of learning, and there are some programs that are that might flop. And that doesn't mean that they weren't useful or beneficial for guys, but it's not for the masses. And so I think practicing what you preach, developing good content, um, developing relationships. I, I think that goes without saying that's, that's coaching 101, but how do you do that? It's, it's obviously not just conversations about the mental game. Um, it's knowing what's happening in guys' lives, uh, following up, touching base, you know, finding ways away from the field as best you can to, to develop relationships in a context and where, where you, you don't have the, the power per se, right? Mm -hmm. Your guys show up to the field and you're, you're the headmaster. You're, you're, everything runs sure. through you. You know, you go to a restaurant, you're not coach anymore. You, you're Billy um, or whatever it is, or you go to the football game, you know, and it's guys maybe might be a little bit more like themselves. They can, you know, show up how they want to dress and you have a, a team event at a football game or you're taking tickets and you're, you're learning about guys in different environments. So no I think, doubt. you know, th those are ways to create buy-in, um, but I think inevitably it's it's practice what you preach. That's that's really where it starts. Uh, and and then you asked me, you know, are, is there one or two stories that stand out about maybe getting guys to to understand really the gravitas or or how important this aspect of the game is? And I think you have some guys that look they maybe they had a mental performance coach in in for their club team or their college and. They worked with Ken Urbiza or Brian Kane came and 
you know, worked with their school for, you know, four years, or they had other, you know, mental performance resources or other guys or gals that, that came and worked at their school. So they have a little bit of a reference point. Our program was a little bit different. Um, but inevitably, like at, at some point in, in an athlete's career, and in, in pro ball, the truth is those guys were probably the best players or the best athletes everywhere they've been until they, they put on an Astros uniform or whatever other uniform. So they probably haven't failed all too much or all too often. They probably haven't been challenged all too much or all too often or to the extent that they will be when they get to pro ball. Um, so you're going to have those points of, of failure, those periods of failure. Um, you know, you know what your organizational philosophy is. Like there were one year, you know, our hitting coordinator's philosophy was, hey, we're going to retool these guys swing right away when they get in. Another year, our hitting coordinator's philosophy was we're going to let them swing and, and use their, their existing swing, and then eventually they'll fail. And that, so you kind of have to know, like, programmatically, like, when are guys scheduled to hit that inflection point? Um, and in pro ball, it's you're going to get exposed pretty quick. And so, you know, part of your job is, or at least me as the coordinator is checking in, seeing how guys are performing. And inevitably, if they have a, a stretch of performance that isn't going well, their mind's going to get in a bad place. They're not going to, you know, their love of the game might wane. They might not be having as much fun. They might, that might start to trickle into other areas of their preparation. Um, they might not know where to turn. Uh, and so you kind of, you have to be aware of, of all these things. And, you know, is there a story that, that stands out? I think we have plenty of stories um, of guys who, you know, really got into the program and, and like bought in early and saw, you know, a fast trajectory. Then there are guys that, you know, maybe by the time they got to double A AA or triple A, now they, they realize, okay, the separator for me at this level is, is really is the mental game and, and really getting my process every single day committing to my process. And so one story that stands out is uh, I'm thinking last year of a relief pitcher um, in AAA. And this is a guy who kind of bounced, bounced back and forth a little bit. Um, and he, he told me that like, he appreciated, you know, all the work, the first three, four years, you know, was great, but he didn't really understand what we were talking about until he got to the big leagues and there were 50,000 people there and the lights were on and he was asked to come in and shut down an inning with bases loaded and one out and the three hitter up and, and, and you're a young player and all that comes at you pretty fast. And all of a sudden you, you better be able to get your emotions in check. You better be able to slow the game down. I mean, for most guys in that situation, if they're early in their career, especially in the first week, two weeks, three weeks, like they, there's, they have dry mouth They're They're doing everything they can just to like stay alive out there. But once you go up, you realize, Oh wow, like, yeah. I need to be able to perform in this environment. If I don't figure out how to get my mind in the right place, if I don't use, if I don't get, if it, if it doesn't start in the third, fourth, fifth inning, like that's what you've been talking about, about process every day, staying consistent, like using visualization, getting your, getting your mind in the right place, doing your, for relief pitchers in pro ball, doing, if it's your breathing, if it's your, your scouting, if it's your, your armbands, whatever that is, um, developing your process to make sure that when in that two minutes of performance that you need to execute at that level, your mind, your body, your soul, your emotions better be in the right place to give you a chance. 
I love hearing that. And, you know, sometimes it takes those experiences for, to get guys to, to buy in and realize, Oh, like I'll, Oh, expletive. This is actually mm-hmm. important. Yeah. Oh man. That, there, there's so, so much goodness there. And so much that, that man, we, we could spend several hours uh, talking about this stuff, but uh, I, I know you've got to go soon and I've got, uh, I've got a pregnant wife downstairs that, that's cooking some dinner. And so I'm very thankful for that. Priorities. But, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. No, no offense. I'm um, taking no, no offense. But I, so one of my favorite questions to ask guys uh, like yourself, because you, you mentioned that when, when coaches hold the lineup card or they're on a field, they automatically have just this, I don't want to say authoritarian uh, stance, but I I think that it, it feels like that a lot of times and you might get to see a different side of players. So I, I really would love to know, you know, what, what do what do the players and this could be the high school kids that you're working with or, you know, all the way up to the big leagues. But what do what do players wish that coaches knew more about or did more of, you know, because, again, you get to see kind of a different side of things. We get to see the, hey, I want to get in the lineup and I'm going to do whatever it takes to be able to do that. But you get to see the, you know, the, hey, I'm, I'm struggling with this or I really like that, you know, Coach Gilner does this or I really don't like when coaches do X, Y or Z. I would just love to, are there any, are there any themes that keep coming up or have kept coming up in your career that, that have been with that? Yeah. The first thing that comes to mind when you ask that question is I wish coaches remembered how hard this game is to play. Um, and that's something that, that Man, AJ, that's yeah, that's so something good. that, that AJ Hinch used to always tell the club and, and something where, and look, this really comes down to like empathy and being able to like put yourself in your kid's shoes and remember that you were once, 14, 15, 16, 17, 18, uh, and all, and whatever you were going through at that time, these kids have it probably, uh, it's more complicated, I, I would argue now, um, than, than when a lot of us were playing. Um, and so remembering how hard it is to play the game will, will help you empathize a little bit more and have a little more patience and respond a little bit differently. And because like the kids don't want to make a mistake. They don't want to fail. They don't want to look at three strikes down the middle. They want to, they don't want to airmail a ball up the line and like let the go ahead run in in the fourth inning. Like they feel horrible. Um, and so I, I think that's the first thing. Uh, and you know, the other themes that come up that when I, when I, when I speak to players and say, Hey, tell me about the best coach you ever had. It's the ones that like make time away from the field. Like they're, they're thoughtful. They're, um, they create opportunities and environments where things are fun. You know, it's, this might, might, might be a, a bad approach, but I, I think the days of like the coach that coaches through fear as a, a level of motivation and, you know, sticks with the author, authoritarian style, there, there is of course like time for that, but you better be deliberate and purposeful about when you're going to put that hat on. And if you do that, you know, these, these kids are smart. Like they don't, if you do that too much at some point, it's like, Oh, here we go again. And you, you, you've lost them. Um, you know, if you know that a kid's struggling, uh, and he's got a, a presentation coming up and you bring him a tie from your, your wardrobe, like, like stuff, simple stuff like that. where like, you're beyond a coach on the field. And that's, the tough part about that is it has it feels like it has nothing to do with the lineup and it feels like it has nothing to do with like the practice plan for the day, but it has everything to do with 
how safe you're making that kid feel and, and what the emotional connection that, that he or she has to you and their willingness to fight for you. Um, and so, you know, do you, if you, if you got a multicultural team, like you have a food day where like you have, you know, some of your, maybe your Latin players bring in food from home that some of their family made, or do you have, uh, you know, some of your, your Jewish players, you know, you, you get where I'm going, just figuring out different ways to, to make everyone feel valued, mm-hmm. um, to recognize that they're all going through it. They're all, they're all in the muck at some point. There's, there's things that they're going through that you have no idea about. Cut them a little bit of slack. Uh, I'm not saying give them free reign to rule the roost, but if you see a kid off, um, you know, before practice or after practice or during pulling them aside. And if a kid needs a mental rep day or a mental break day, you know, for goodness sake, that might be worth it. Um, you know, maybe not during the season, but, but during the fall or, or creating a, uh, you know, Hey, this is going to be our, our, our rest and recover day, you know, just creating a culture and environment where, um, you know, guys feel and players feel free to be like human and they don't have to be perfect and they don't have to be this, um, you know, perfect version that, that, that they think they need to be, uh, because what happens inevitably is, you start to develop trust, rapport, you know, you start to create a culture of acceptance, a culture of um, autonomy, a culture of building people up. And then like you have the leverage to, you know, when you get frustrated, when they fail, when they're not doing what you need. Now you've built up the, the credit, you know, to, to be able sure. to, to have a meaningful conversation. Um, right. You know, so those, oh, those are great. some things that I would say. I love it. Well, I've got a couple of quick hitters before you go, Jesse. And I mean, I can't thank you enough for <laughs> just so much stuff that you've brought to the table today. But the first question would be, what is the latest thing that you've learned or that you're learning that you're really excited about? Yeah. So uh, two things I'll throw out you throw out at you. Um, both are, are pretty like kind of no duh, but both are super important. I think undervalued, especially at the amateur level. Number one is uh, HRV. If anyone is familiar with kind of biofeedback or heart rate variability, it's this idea that your body's ability to handle stress. There's some apps that can measure HRV level. Um, it's a, a real time measurement of, uh, you know, your beats, your time between heartbeats and, and somebody who can manage stress pretty well has a high HRV. Uh, somebody who manages it not as well has a low HRV and you can, this is something that you could do. Like even during practice, you get all your kids to download a, a free HRV app. They all got iPhones. They can put their finger, you know, on the, on the little sensor. Uh, it can measure their HRV. You can even keep track and say, Hey, you know, day before a game, your, your HRV is a little lower day of a game. You're real low, but the day after a game, you know, you're, you're really high. Maybe we should work on kind of our ability to handle stress our emotional state. Um, so that's one. If you're interested in more more about that, I'm happy to to talk to you about resources and you know low hanging fruit books, uh, videos, and and apps that that you can use to measure that. The other one is sleep, um, and I think mm, no you know every every athlete, every youth athlete, especially uh, that I work with, I, I encourage to get at least nine hours of sleep. That might sound crazy, but if I say nine, I know they're going to get eight. Um, and for me, if 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 amateur youth athletes, if they can eat right and they can sleep well and they can do a little bit of recovery, they're ahead of 95% of everyone else they're going to play against. Um, and so I think because your sleep 
you know, and this is, this is talk about how do you get buy-in? Like when, when athletes are, are training, when they're learning a new skill, um, when that skill is coded into brain in terms of motor development, motor learning, it's during sleep. And so if you tell a guy, Hey, you put in three hours of work today in the cage, like you want to be able to, you know, move that way tomorrow, go home and sleep nine hours. Okay. That's a little bit better than like, Hey, turn off your Instagram. Cause I want you to go to bed because I don't know, your mom told you to go to bed earlier. Okay. So if you can like connect it back to the performance, they're going to be a little bit more bought in. Um, so if you, if you can track that and there's, ton of ways to track that sleep app or oh, ring cool. whoop band, you name it. Mm-hmm. You can, you can collectively as a program track stress management and recovery and sleep. Um, you know, maybe you got a leaderboard, maybe you got, you know, varsity team, JV team, freshman team, maybe you got somebody who you anoint as the, the captains of, of these areas. So there are ways to kind of create programs and create buy-in in your teams as well. Mm-hmm. For sure. What is a second question would be, what is something that you used to believe that you don't believe anymore? So I used to, not that I used to believe, but I used to teach this a lot more. I used to spend a lot of time talking about self-talk in the moment. You know, Hey, if you notice, you know, you say, God, I suck. No. All right. I'm one of the best hitters on this team. That's why I'm in the three hole. Um, I'm going to see my pitch and I'm going to drive it. So there's kind of different levels of, um, of self-talk and confidence and belief systems. So I used to spend a lot of time talking and, and teaching the power of self-talk in the moment. I find myself a lot more now breaking down and teaching the belief systems that drive your response in the moment, the self-talk. And by belief systems, I mean the things we believe about ourselves, the values we have that hold a lot of weight that impact how we perceive what happens to us in the moment. Um, you know, things like I'm somebody that bounces back, you know, quickly from failure, things like I'm going to figure it out. I'm somebody who figures it out. Uh, things like, um, the only one, the only thing that matters is, is that I, I believe in myself. I want my voice to be louder than the coach's voice in my head. The stuff that we say to ourselves that carries weight, um, because what happens inevitably is that influences your, your response in the moment. I'll give you a very quick example. I know you got a jet, but let's say you got, uh, you got, you drop somebody in the lineup from third to sixth in your high school team, got whatever, 10, 12 kids on your team, 15 kids on your team. You know, they go up and they see that lineup and they see they were dropped from third to sixth. They're going to have 15 or 20 different things that they say to themselves in that moment. Mm. Some sure. of your kids are going to say, oh, gosh, coach lost faith in, faith in me. Some of your kids are going to say, hmm, interesting. Some of your kids are going to say, oh, does this mean that I'm going to drop to ninth next time? Like some of your kids are going to say, giddy up, baby. That means more fastballs in the sixth mm-hmm. spot. Like how you respond to that situation um, is going to be predicated on what do you believe about yourself, right? How do those beliefs where do they originate? What's the story that you're telling yourself constantly about your own ability, your uh, your value in the in the context, in the environment, um, you know, your 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 belief in your abilities, whatever that may be. And so, trying to help athletes understand that kind of the underlying layer, right? What's driving your your initial thoughts in the moment when something happens to you? Um, you know, you, you get a, a ball called uh, you know off the plate. 
Is your first response, God, this umpire sucks? Is your first response, you know, uh oh, now it's 01 and I'm I, I'm not a good 01 hitter? Is your first response, okay, I know the scattering report. This guy likes to throw sliders 70% 01. I'm going to sit on slider. Um, you know, what do you tell yourself in those moments? And a lot of it's predicated on belief systems and kind of the story that we, we tell ourselves. Uh, what do we see when we look in the mirror? So that's what I found myself teaching a lot more because inevitably when you can identify those beliefs that are working for you and those that are not, now you can really influence in the moment those initial responses um, and you're spending less time trying to fight that self-talk that's not working for you. Uh, so that's that's one thing that I, that I like to, to, to talk about with athletes. Oh, I love that. And just, I think, e, are you familiar with E plus R equals O? Sure, sure. The, Brian Kite? Man, yeah. that's, that is, uh, sim, on a similar note, a, a little less in depth, but man, that, that's been something that's really changed my life. The response factor. Oh, I love that. You know? Yeah. And I think whether it's that, I, I guess, forget the guy's name, Tim Knight or something. Tim, maybe. Tim Kite. Yeah. Tim and Brian. Yeah. So they're great. I know that you know, Trevor Moad, you know, RIP, he talked a lot about neutral right. thinking, you know, sure. however you frame it, um, it, it start, it starts with, Hey, are you able to, you know, develop the mental foundation to set you up for success? And then in the moment when you know what hits the fan, can you like pull yourself out of that? Can you take a breath? Can you go to your focal point? Can you stick to your process? Can you slow the game down? Whatever it is, can you pause? And then can you say, okay, let me re reframe. Let me have a different perspective. How do I need to think about this in a way that's going to align with what I'm trying to do here? What is, what's the task? What am I trying to accomplish? What's the goal that I need to, to, to accomplish right now? And how do I get my mind and my body in the right place to give me the best chance to do that? For sure. So I've got uh, last question. And since you've got an array of books behind you, if you could pick one or, you know, however many you, you feel like we need, but if you could pick a couple of books that you would like us to dig into, what would they be? Absolutely. So number one is a book called Learned Optimism. It's by a guy named Marty Seligman. He's kind of one of the, the, the fathers of positive psychology, but it is not a book about rainbows and unicorns. Um, it is a book about how do, you, how do you shift your mindset to see the world differently? Um, and wherever you are on the pessimism to optimism scale, uh, how do you develop a, uh, a more optimistic way of thinking? We know that builds resilience, it builds mental toughness, it builds the ability to, to, to focus and overcome obstacles and challenges. So that's one for sure. I think a lot of coaches get value out of uh, the mental game of baseball. I would definitely read that if you haven't. Uh, and Mind Gym, those are two kind of easy reads and, and very quick reads uh, for coaches. Um, and then uh, another another book that that I would read is called Blink. Uh, it's it's by Malcolm Gladwell. It's kind of a uh, you know mid two thousands, early two thousands, but um, it goes to just in the moment. How do we how do how do we reshape and take a pause uh, with with the things that happen to us um, and how we perceive them? Uh, and so I think that sets you up. That gives you a good foundation. You know, I, I got a ton more recommendations. Like I said, feel free to reach out. You can you can reach me on Twitter. Um, you know, however you want. Um, I'm happy to engage with coaches. I, I love talking this stuff um, anytime. Oh, you can absolutely tell the, the passion that you have for it, Jesse. But I, I'm going to mute myself, and I, I want to give you the opportunity just to, to talk to our listeners. By the way, all the all the contact links and your website and all that stuff is down below for any of the listeners who uh, a quick way to get in touch. But Jesse, just what what have you what is there anything else that you'd like to tell our listeners before you go? 
Yeah, just for you, John, I appreciate the opportunity. Um, I, I know you have an, an incredible uh, thing going here. And to, to allow me to come in and, and talk to your, your listeners, I, I can't thank you enough. I know we've, we've kind of gone back and forth for a few months here trying to get, get this and, and make time for this. So it's awesome to be able to do it. To the listeners, to the coaches out there, um, you, know, you don't need to, to, to have a master's degree to do this. There are, there are ways to, or a grad degree or an undergrad, or you know, find, finding areas of the mental game that you're interested in, that you buy into, telling your players your story about how you struggled, about what you did to overcome hardships, about you know, times that you failed on the field, um, about times that you fail now, uh, being more human to your players. I promise you, if your players see you as more human, if they see you as more vulnerable, if you give them more autonomy over their development, um, if you encourage them and empower them, uh, if, if you build them up uh, much more than you break them down, because I know that's a part of it too, uh, they are going to play better, without a doubt. They are going to be more fluid. They are going to be able to lock in. They are going to be able to put their mind in the place where it needs to be more often than not. And when we perform at a high level, it's because our mind is in the right place. It's because we've developed the process, the mental routine, the physical routine to be able to get to the place that we need to get to. And as coaches, practicing this stuff outside you should be practicing this as coaches. Um, I talked about practice what you preach. The stuff that you do outside of, of coaching, whether you're a golfer, you're into CrossFit, or you're a musician and you play guitar, the stuff that you're learning outside of the game, implement some of these strategies and practices. I guarantee you, you are going to be more likely to talk about this and make this a part of the language of your program and your culture if you're developing these, these areas as well. You don't, you're not developing it as a player anymore, but I guarantee you that these skills are something that you want to build up as well. So thanks so much again, and feel free to reach out, Jesse D M I C H E L on Twitter and uh, mindsetforexcellence.com. Uh, I'll get back to you. Like I said, love talking mental game. Uh, happy to chat with your, your teams if you'd like. Um, you know, love, uh, love to engage with, with whoever wants to, to get better in this area. Thank you for listening to Ahead of the Curve. If you enjoyed the show, please consider leaving us a rating or review wherever you are listening. I also wanted to remind you that you can find the video portion at the AOTC channel on stickandball.tv. Have a great week.